Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 12. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Sir Robert Anderson did a study on Daniel 9.25 because he wanted to know the accuracy of this prophecy. We know historically, got a pen? We know historically, March 14, 445 BC, King Artaxerxes gave the command to go and restore and rebuild the walls in the city of Jerusalem. We know that from Nehemiah chapter 2. Using the lunar calendar, stay with me here. Using the lunar Jewish calendar, if you hit your clicker on March 14th, 445 B.C., and you click 173,880 times, you will come to April 6, 32 A.D. April 6, 32 A.D., is exactly what we have right here in John chapter 12, verse 12, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. And this is why Jesus, understand, now here we go, this is why Jesus was so brokenhearted. This is why Jesus was weeping because they should have known their Bibles. But because they didn't know their Bibles, they did not recognize the Messiah. Are y'all getting what I'm putting down? Because they didn't know their Bibles, they, they didn't recognize the Messiah when he was coming. Because if they had known the scriptures, God wants us to know the word of God. God's going to hold us accountable for his word. Am I right about that? And, 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 and they should have known the word. And when Jesus, here's my point, listen to me, I'm going to make it clear. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, somebody should have said, oh, Zechariah 9.9 says the Messiah is going to come riding on a donkey. Well, maybe that's the guy. Somebody should have said that. Somebody should have done the math and said, wow, well, let me think about this now. King Artaxerxes gave the command to rebuild 483 years ago or 173,880 days ago. Hmm, today is April 6, 32 AD. The man on the donkey is the Messiah. But because they didn't know their day of visitation or because they didn't know their Bibles, Jesus is holding them responsible. And he prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. He saw as he was going in his mind through the quarters of time, A.D. 70, Jesus could see the Roman general Titus Vespasian and his army marching into Jerusalem, taking down the stone, burning the temple and all of its gold in it, taking down the temple stone by stone, killing man, women, 
boys, girls, even pregnant moms, and leaving the city desolate. And Jesus said, if you only could see the things that make for your peace, me, him, he's saying, but you did not. And so destruction is ahead. Look at verse 16. The disciples didn't want, didn't understand until later when Jesus was glorified and then they remembered. The disciples didn't know what was going on, but the donkey did. Let the church say amen. The disciples didn't know what was going on, but the rocks did. Again, I give you Luke chapter 19. Jesus is riding in Jerusalem and the Pharisees say, stop them from praising you. And Jesus said, if I stop them from praising me, the rocks are going to cry out. So the rocks knew what was going on. Now keep in mind, John is about 90 years old at this time, and he's writing this after his stay on Patmos. Now get this. While he was on Patmos, listen, he got the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes? And a part of the revelation of Jesus Christ was actually the real triumphal entry. This is a mock triumphal entry. The real triumphal entry, keep your finger here. Let's go to Revelation. Come on. Revelation. Turn quick. Let me hear them pages turning. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Y'all got to see this. Y'all learned anything? Y'all got to see this. Revelation chapter 19. Look at this. Look at verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 11. If you're looking at verse 11, say amen. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and his head were many on his head with many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called, what saints? The word of God. The armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. Come on, read it with me. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Listen, this is the real triumphal entry. When Jesus comes back as a king to conquer on a white horse. That's the real triumphal entry. This is a mock trial. Kind of, sort of but not really, the mock up. And John, he knows that. He knows the real one is yet to come. So here in our text, go back over to John. Here in our text, John is being honest. And he says, when Jesus entered, we didn't understand what was going on. But after Jesus died and ascended and was glorified, then they talked to each other and then the Spirit of God filled them and then gave them insight. And then they realized that everything that was going on was in fulfillment of Bible prophecy in verses 17 through 19. We just read it. It tells us the people, look at verse 17, the people who were with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the tomb were witnesses. The crowd loved Jesus. 
because they believed if a man can bring someone back to life, he can certainly deliver us from the yoke of Caesar and Rome. You see, they didn't want Jesus to save their souls. They wanted Jesus to save them from Rome. But Jesus didn't come to give people freedom from government. Somebody say amen. Jesus died on Calvary's cross to give people a home in heaven. Am I right about that? A home in heaven. And then I love verse 19. I told you that the Pharisees said, look, the whole world has gone after him. And more and more people are hearing about the miracles of Lazarus and they're putting their faith in Jesus. That tells us you can't stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, somebody needs to say a better amen than that. You can't stop. I'm waiting while you clap your hands right there. You can't stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. When people's lives are changed, nobody can contest that. Nobody can say it didn't happen. You can't argue with fruit. I told you that. You can't argue with fruit. If you look at a lemon tree, it's lemons on the tree. Somebody comes up and says, well, I think it's an apple tree. Well, you, well, you can think what you want, but it's a lemon tree. <laughs> well, I think it's an apple tree. Oh, well, it's a lemon tree. Well, I think it's an apple tree. Well, I think you need Prozac. <laughs> you can't argue with fruit. You can't contest fruit. You can't argue against it. I am telling you that God changed my life. I'm telling you that God changed me. Can I get a witness? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. January 23rd, 1982, at 7.30 p.m. at the Friendly Church of God in Christ in Oceanside, California, on San Diego Street, God changed my life. That was 31 years ago, and I have not been the same since. Matter of fact, I'm now standing here to tell you what God has done in my life. You can't tell me that didn't happen. And that just blessed me. That man is in a wheelchair. And I just said that. He just raised his hand. That just blessed me. Because you can't argue with fruit. Now here this man is in a wheelchair and telling you, Jesus changed him. And who can tell you that he didn't? Nobody. You can't argue with fruit. Nobody can argue with fruit. You can't argue with a changed life. Your testimony is powerful. And I'm telling you that, that to tell you this, don't ever stop sharing your testimony because your testimony is powerful. There's power in your testimony because it's the one thing nobody can take away from you. Nobody can take that from you. Verse 20 through 26, I got to come in for a landing. Some Greeks and some Gentiles came to worship. Look at verse 20. Some Greeks and some Gentiles came to worship at the feast. Verse 21, they came to Philip and said, we want to see Jesus. I wrote in my Bibles, I do too. In verse 22, Philip told Andrew and they both told Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus said, the hour has come and the Son of Man shall be glorified and listen, Israel rejected Christ. Hosanna, yes, Hosanna, Hosanna now, but crucify him, crucify him later. They missed their day of visitation, but their loss is our gain. Their rejection is our reception. 
Because of their rejection, the door of the church swings wide open. And that's why the church is the church. And that's why the church is made up of all believers, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, all nations, tongues and tribes and people are a part of the church. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a member of the church. Belief gets you in the church, not membership. Now, I'm telling you that because it wasn't last week. Somebody said, how do you become a member? I'm saying out on the walkway, saying hi to people, being kind and lovely as I always am. <laughs> and a, how do you become a member? And I said, you can't. They said, you can't. They looked all perplexed. They were like, you can't? I'm no, you can't. I said, you, you have to be born into this. Amen. You've got to be born into the church. You can't join it. It's not the Rotary Club. <laughs> amen. And amen. It's not the Rotary Club. You've got to be born into it. And people leave other churches that have membership. And, and when you leave a church that has membership, I think they give you like, Discharge papers or something. I think it's like, you know, they give you like, yeah, like a, like a letter of recommendation. That's what it is. And uh, y'all just a little interactive group up front here. Y'all y'all, y'all just go and preach. I'll sit down. I'm tired anyway. <laughs> and um, you never know what's going to happen here. I just, I just go with whatever. And... Uh, yeah, they gave you the letter of uh, recommendation, and uh, they give it to me, and you know, my here's my letter of recommendation. I'm like, thank you, thank you very much. And so they leave. I go in my office, and <laughs> what am I going to do with it? Keep it for what? You can't join this thing called. Church, it is a living organism made up of people. The church is the people, not the building. Right? We're, we're, we're going to expand the building. And God will expand the church. I'm going to write about it. So, the fire of enthusiasm is going on. People are at fever pitch, yelling, thrilled about the Redeemer, the Deliverer. The one riding the donkey has come to deliver from Rome in their minds. He's going to conquer and do what they want done. Their hearts are filled with anticipation and hope. The Jews are thrilled. Even the Gentiles have gathered around him. Look at verse 23. Jesus said, the hour has come. The Son of Man should be glorified. Jesus said, unless a grain in verse 24 of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces grain. Jesus is simply saying this, if you're taking notes. Salvation can't come to the Jew. Deliverance can't come to the nation. And redemption can't come to the Gentile unless I die. 
They're saying, we would see Jesus. And Jesus is saying, the only way that that can happen is if I die. Jesus is saying, I must die. I must be buried in the ground like a grain. There's no spiritual harvest apart from my death. I must die if anyone is to live. Jesus says, but out of my death will come life, my own life and your life as well. Did you catch that? Jesus uses the image of a seed to illustrate an awesome spiritual truth. And that truth is there can be no life without death. And he uses a seed and grain. You can't see its potential or its possibilities until it dies, until you plant it. It's weak and useless. But when it's planted, it dies and becomes fruitful. There could be no glory without suffering. There could be no victory without surrender. The only way to glory is through the grave. We Christians are like seeds. We're small and insignificant. And like a seed, we have life in us, the life of God. And yet that life can never reach its full potential until we yield or die to self. Do you understand that the Christian life is full of paradoxes. The Christian life is one big paradox. It really is. We give so we can keep. To be great, we must serve. To live, we must die. We're strongest when we're weak. We're richest when we're poor. We feel the supreme love for one we've never seen. We talk in friendly terms every day to someone we can't see. We expect to go to heaven on the virtue of another. We forsake in order to have. We see the invisible, we hear the inaudible, and we know things that pass knowledge. The Christian life is a series of paradoxes. And can I share something with you? Listen, you will never be used by God until you say, Lord, I'm done with me. Get rid of myself. God, I yield myself to you and I allow you to plant me. And unless we die to ourselves, we can never live unto God. Unless we allow the Lord to plant us, not bury us, but plant us. There's a story of this missionary in a jungle area. A family went to visit the missionary, and as they watched the dedicated missionary work, they were impressed with the ministry, but admitted they missed civilization. You certainly have buried yourself down here. And the missionary responded, oh, no, we haven't buried ourselves. We were planted. Buried, planted. Big difference. Jesus said, I'm going to die in verse 25, and you're going to have to die too. Jesus says, I'm going to die to give you life, and you're going to have to die to receive that life. And he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life will keep it. In church history, got a pen? Christians have called this the Paschal Mystery. The Paschal Mystery. In other words, the process of going down into death and rising up to new life. The Paschal Mystery. This idea is so important is recorded in all the Gospels, Matthew 10, Mark 8, twice in Luke 9, in Luke 17, and right here in John. If you give your life and take up his cross, you'll find life. 
But if you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose your life. The more you live for yourself, the more miserable you'll be. If you give up your life and take up his cross, you'll find life. Another paradox. The world teaches you something totally different, doesn't it? And if you're not a Christian, you don't know what I'm talking about. If you don't know Jesus, you're probably like, what in the world is he talking about? Lose my life, give up my life, die to myself, live unto God. What is he talking about? But the Christian, we know what we're talking about because we have the Holy Spirit living within us to lead us, teach us, and guide us in all truth. And we know what that means. And we know that we will never be happy serving yourself. The world tells you to serve yourself. How often do we hear people say, oh, you got to love yourself before you can love anybody else? Everybody says that. Oh, you better love yourself. Jesus didn't say that. that. The problem is you do love yourself too much. Let the church say amen. I'm a preach. Yes, sir. The problem is you love yourself too much. I can prove it. Take a picture of this entire audience. What's the first one you look for? <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> you. You love yourself. <laughs> you love yourself. The world says love yourself. You can't love others if you don't love yourself. Don't get me wrong. You need to take care of yourself. And I do understand. I get that. You do need to love yourself and take care of yourself. But by all means, brush your teeth. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I feel you. I'm with you. But the problem is we love ourselves too much. And Jesus tells us to love him, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Somebody once said, if you take care of God's business, God will take care of your business. Oh, you need to clap your hands right there. Yeah, you do. The more you put others first and stop being so wrapped up in you, the happier you'll be. Jim Elliott, the famous martyr missionary, said, he is no fool to give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. Somebody once said the smallest package in the world is a person wrapped up in himself. You'll get that on the way home. I read this quote. I thought I loved it. I thought it was interesting. Exactly what Jesus said. An American Indian convert in broken English said, Indian lay down blanket, Indian lay down pipe, Indian lay down tomahawk, Indian lay down Indian. I say, Christian lay down Christian. Christian lay down ego. Do you know ego in the Greek language is I? Lay down you. If anyone serves, look at verse 26. You go get your chicken sandwich. Look at verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am there, my servants will be also. Think about this. They wanted to talk to Jesus. Jesus takes them to the cross and says, I have to die and you have to die. But the payoff is you get to go with me. If you honor the father, the father will 
will forever honor you. Heaven is the honor that comes from God. And what makes, I'll wait while you clap your hands. And what makes heaven heaven is the fact that Jesus is there. That's what makes heaven heaven. The fact that Jesus is there. So love God first. Put God first in everything you do. I don't care if you're 8 or 80. Or you're a student or you're in college or, or you're in the workforce. Whatever you do, wherever you go, wherever you be, put God first. My brother here is in a wheelchair. And I can tell God is in his heart. And someday... We'll fellowship in heaven together, and I'll race you. I'll race you. You'll probably win. (laughs) You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.